this last week I've been uh, battling this uh, head cold. It's funny, I was, Libby and I were talking yesterday and she was asking, are, are you going to be ready for tomorrow? Uh, is your voice ready? And I said, oh yeah, I should be fine because, you know, we have the microphone and I won't have to project. Uh, and so I'm really glad we got that figured out. Uh, I was, all of those things flashing in my mind. And when she said that and, and when I said, oh, I should be fine, uh, and, you know, in the, in the back of your mind, you kind of say, well, unless uh, this happens. Uh, and uh, it almost happened, but praise the Lord. Uh, we got it uh, figured out. Uh, if uh, you have your copy of God's Word, open up to, uh, to John 14. We're continuing our, our study there. And uh, there is a, there's a joke that a comedian once told uh, about going to the dentist. And the guy's sitting there in the chair and the, the dentist asks, when was the last time you flossed your teeth? Uh, and uh, the, the guy said, when was the last time I was here? Uh, and... Uh, Sometimes uh, that is true concerning our thoughts of heaven. If I were to ask you, when was the last time that you thought about heaven? You might say, well, pastor, when was the last time you preached on heaven? Many of us don't contemplate heaven uh, as often as we should. Uh, and many of us don't contemplate heaven because uh, we have the wrong ideas about what heaven is going to be like. Uh, I think it, it's, it's really interesting to, uh, to it, in talking to people, sometimes I, I see that they've pulled theology together from a variety of sources, which is what we naturally do. Uh, things that we've uh, seen on TV, heard on the radio, books that we've read, uh, the Bible, Oftentimes we have this uh, amalgamation uh, of uh, theological ideas, uh, and and sometimes we we envision that heaven is going to be us floating on clouds, uh, playing harps for all of eternity, right? And some of you might say, well, that doesn't sound that exciting. I don't know if I want to do that. Is that like a punishment? Like, am I on a timeout in heaven if I have to go and play the harp and uh, sit on a cloud for that long? Uh, but uh, the, the new heavens and the new earth won't be like that at all. Uh, they will be much like uh, this earth right here and right now, except there will be no sin, no sickness, no suffering, no tears. Uh, the, the world uh, then in heaven, the new heavens and the new earth are going to be infinitely better. Uh, we will still have uh, work uh, ahead of us and tasks. We still get to... Uh, to exercise uh, dominion over the creation and use uh, what God has given to us in creation for his glory. Uh, but it is going to be uh, without any sin or suffering. And in that uh, eternal state, we will uh, have been rewarded for our faithfulness uh, here on the earth. Uh, in the parable of the, the talent, those uh, servants who uh, received that commendation, well done, good and faithful servant, uh, they were given uh, to be in charge of cities. Pretty remarkable, right? Now that, that is the reward for, uh, for faithfulness in the here and now. But, but the greatest uh, and most important thing about heaven is that we will get to be with God for eternity. But again, most of us don't think about that as often as we should. Uh, D.L. Moody tells a, a story about a, a man who testified that in his youth he thought uh, of heaven uh, largely as a great shining city filled with vast walls, domes, and towers, uh, and populated by millions of angels, all of whom uh, were strangers to him. But then the man's little brother died, 
And after that, he thought of heaven as a great shining city filled with vast walls and towers and unknown angels, but also with one little fellow who he did know. When a second brother died, there were two people that he knew in heaven. When additional acquaintances died, uh, and over time, uh, one of his own children went to be with Jesus, followed by another one, and then another still. Uh, And by this time, the man thought less and less about uh, the towers and the walls. He thought more and more about the residents of heaven. And his interest in heaven intensified as time went on. And toward the end of his life, he said many of his acquaintances had gone to heaven and that it sometimes seemed to him that he knew more persons in heaven than he did on the earth. And so his thoughts fixated more and more upon heaven. And I find that to be so very true. When we are young, uh, it feels like we're going to, to live forever. We're not going to get old. And as we're young, when you're a teenager, 30 is old, right? And then you get to like 25, and you're like, maybe it's not that old anymore. Maybe 40 is not that old. And it continues to increase. Life is a vapor. And the longer we live, our ties to heaven gradually outnumber the ties that we have to this world. And heaven becomes more and more the focus of our thoughts. Now that, that's the natural way of things. But I would also say that's not necessarily how things ought to be. Yet if we are believers, we ought to be interested in heaven. We are going to be uh, spending uh, eternity there. Instead, if you were to take uh, a timeline and, and you know draw across this room uh, a rope uh, of, of um, demonstrated eternity, our life would be a little pin in that timeline. The majority of your existence is going to be spent in heaven. Shouldn't we have a desire to know what that is like? And shouldn't we think about that more frequently than we do? And as we continue our our study in John's gospel, you see here in John 14 that Jesus is there with the 11 disciples in the upper room. Judas, who is to betray him, has departed and gone out. Uh, And uh, the 11 who remain are deeply discouraged. Uh, And uh, at this uh, celebratory meal, Jesus uh, has dropped some bombs on them. Uh, He has told them that there is a, a traitor among them. He's told them that he is going to leave them and they can't follow. And he's pointed to the leader of those 12 who have been walking with him for the last three years, going everywhere that he went. He points to Peter and says, Peter, you're going to deny me before sunrise. Uh, and, and so the 11 are, are, are shaken up. Uh, they don't know what to think about all of this. What, they're just, uh, their, their emotions and their imaginations are running wild. What would cause Peter to deny Jesus before the end of the night? And as we studied John 14, 1, a couple weeks ago, we saw Jesus diagnose the situation uh, and prescribe a remedy to their troubled hearts. If you look at me at that verse, he says, Do not let your heart be troubled. That's the diagnosis, but then his prescription. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
And then what's remarkable is immediately after that, as he is encouraging them and seeking to give them hope, he begins to talk about heaven. Verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So immediately following these uh, commands of verse 1, Jesus gives his disciples some assurances. uh, And he directs their attention uh, to their eternal hope in heaven. Uh, they are being uh, tossed about by the, by the waves of uh, their emotions and the waves of their circumstances, by the waves of what is unknown to them. And their fears are carrying them away. But he calls them here to cast their anchor upwards. To set their hopes firmly upon their unwavering future in heaven. And this is instructive for us as well because this is exactly what we must do. We must cast our anchor upwards. We are anchored to not this earth, but to heaven. But sometimes we are, we are hesitant to throw our anchors upwards, right? Sometimes we're like, if I do that, how do I know it's not just going to fall back down on my head, right? If I set my hopes on God, how do I know I won't be disappointed? Our faith is often mixed with doubts and apathy, and our eyes and minds are often focused upon the here and now. So what assurances do we have that our anchor will hold in heaven if we throw it up there? So we have three assurances given to us by Christ here. Three assurances that he gives to his disciples concerning their future and our future in heaven. And these uh, assurances are intended in the moment uh, 2,000 years ago. And in this moment right now, they are intended to encourage our faith and strengthen us to be anchored in heaven rather than on this earth. I want to look at these three assurances with you this morning, but I would ask you to pause and pray with me. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the comfort that it brings as it speaks to us about the future, as it speaks to us about things uh, that the eye cannot see, that the hand cannot touch. Father, increase our faith now as we study your word. Help us to behold invisible spiritual truths. Help us to trust in you and not in our own flesh, not in our own wisdom. May may you use this time to increase our faith, to increase uh, our trust in you and your word and in your son. May you use this time to conform us into his image. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. As we look at these uh, three assurances, they're there in your sermon outline in the bulletin. The first assurance is seen in in verse 2. That we have the assurance of a heavenly home. Jesus says, in my father's house are many dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Now, there are many different terms in Scripture that are used to describe heaven. Hebrews 11.16 refers to heaven as a better country. 
Hebrews 12.22 refers to it as uh, the city of the living God. Uh, Numerous passages speak of heaven as a kingdom uh, because it has God as its king. It's also called paradise uh, in Luke, in 2 Corinthians, and in Revelation. In Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 11, speaks about heaven being that ultimate place of rest. That, That is the ultimate Sabbath that we look forward to. And then we see here uh, in John 14, as Jesus speaks about his father's house, uh, he is speaking about heaven itself. And he is saying that in heaven, in his father's house, there are many homes or the LSB has uh, dwelling places. And uh, the Greek word here uh, is uh, seen a little bit later in John 15. It's going to be seen over and over again in John 15. Uh, the, the, the root word is the idea of abiding or remaining. Uh, and uh, what we see is that in using that word here, Jesus is, is emphasizing the permanent nature of those dwellings in heaven. Uh, that we go there to abide and to remain permanently. It also has a, a little bit of commentary about our earthly life. Uh, this life is a temporary life. It's a life of dwelling in tents, uh, and we are uh, sojourners. We are exiles here in a land that is not our home. One of the, the Puritans, Thomas Watson, said, This life is like an inn. You spend a couple of nights there, but you never forget where your home is. And by using this language, uh, Jesus is, is using an illustration that would have been familiar to uh, these 11 uh, disciples. Uh, he is uh, using uh, this picture uh, of uh, a, a, a Middle Eastern uh, home. Now, one uh, commentator writes this. He says, in Jesus' day, many, many dwelling units were combined to form an extended household. And it was customary for sons to add to their father's house once married. And so that the entire estate grew into a large compound called an insula that centered around a communal courtyard. Uh, And the image used by Jesus may also have conjured up notions of luxurious Greco-Roman villas replete with numerous terraces and buildings situated among shady gardens with an abundance of trees and flowing water. And Jesus' listeners may have been familiar with this kind of uh, setting from the Herodian palaces in Jerusalem, Tiberias, and Jericho. And Jesus thus conveys to his followers a vision of future heavenly living that surpasses even that enjoyed by the most exalted ruler or wealthy person of that day. So he's saying it's going to be even better uh, than any of the, the, the ruler's mansions here in Palestine or in Rome going to be even greater. Heaven is that place where Jesus is preparing uh, eternal dwellings for his people. He is building on to his father's house. And the, the, the picture of all of this that we get is that heaven is going to be an intimate place. Where people are going to be connected to one another and the people of God are going to live in the presence of God himself. Revelation 21.3 And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. That is what Jesus is seeking to get his disciples to focus upon. In this moment where they are deeply troubled, he says, Look at what is ahead. Uh, Look at what is in store for you. 
They have hope because they have the assurance of an eternal home in heaven. And if we, if we trust and if we exercise faith in this assurance of a heavenly home, that we will have hope and comfort in our everyday lives. That, that's what the stability of a home does. I remember when, when we were seeking to, to move to Idaho to, uh, to, to plant uh, ABF, that we were initially candidating with a church here uh, in the Treasure Valley about coming and uh, kind of doing a, a relaunch or a revitalization. And uh, we came up here and candidated with them for uh, a week and thought it was, was going well. Uh, and in faith, we went out on a limb and we put an offer on a house, uh, even though we didn't have anything uh, fully lined up. Uh, and uh, uh, some time went on and the church decided that they didn't want to move forward with that revitalization. Uh, and I remember that night uh, feeling like, you know, what, what am I doing? We'd gotten news during that time that uh, Libby w- was pregnant. We have no job, no income, and we have an offer on a house. Uh, and uh, it feels like everything was, was crumbling. And, and you know that feeling, right? When, you're, when your earthly home is unsettled, how do you feel? Nothing is settled in life, right? If you don't have a place to stay, that, that's your number one concern. Right? And, and that's just a, a small, uh, small picture of the stability that a heavenly home provides. Right? And if we truly know that we have a home in heaven, then even if our home situation in the here and now is uncertain, I can still find peace and rest in that. Amen? That, that is the, the end result of the, this assurance. But I want to paint another picture for you. Michael and Sharon Rustin share this story. Uh, in their, their book, The One-Year Christian History, looks back to the year 1900 uh, in China. And China at that time was increasingly embroiled in political conflict. And foreign powers were uh, asserting their influence upon China, uh, and it was polarizing uh, China uh, in two different directions. Uh, there were uh, a fa- One faction was uh, in favor of uh, westernization. Uh, and there was another faction that opposed that westernization. Uh, and uh, a particularly conservative Chinese group uh, identified as the righteous and harmonious fists became known as the boxers. And they did everything in their power to fight westernization. Uh, and their goals were to preserve the old pagan religions and to keep foreigners out of China. And organized and active throughout all of the Chinese provinces, the boxers had a particular stronghold in the Shanxi province where they were able to get one of their own appointed as the governor. And this movement was known as the Boxer Rebellion. And because of the boxers, no missionary was safe in the Shanxi province. Uh, And the China Inland Mission, which was founded by Hudson Taylor, they had some missionaries there in the Shanxi province. Uh, Emily Whitchurch from England, Edith Cyril from New Zealand, uh, were two of the many single women teams stationed in isolated towns and in their town of Shaoyi, in south-central Shanxi province, they worked with opium addicts. And in the midst of the boxer reign of terror, uh, Miss Cyril wrote this to a friend. She said, from the human standpoint, all missionaries in the Shanxi province are equally unsafe. But from the point of view of those whose, whose lives are hid with Christ in God, all are equally safe. His children have a place of refuge, and that place is the secret place of the Most High. 
She, she wrote that. And two days later, those two women were killed by a boxer mob that came and stormed their house. And the local Christians risked their lives to go and rescue uh, their bodies and, and bury them. But we see in that letter the assurance that a heavenly home produces. And resting in that assurance will produce a peaceful heart no matter the circumstances. If you have looked to Jesus in faith, you have that same assurance. We have that assurance of a heavenly home. We have that assurance not only of a heavenly home, but who is the one who's preparing that home for us? Jesus himself. Isn't that a comfort? What an assurance. You've looked to Christ in faith as your only hope for forgiveness and reconciliation with God. You have this assurance that Jesus is preparing a place for you to dwell with him for eternity. And he is doing that right now. And yet how often do we contemplate that reality? How often do we think about the home that we have in heaven. And our thoughts of heaven are always too few. We need to heed the commands of Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That needs to be our meditation. That needs to be our assurance. And because we have been united with Christ by faith, we need to to rest in the assurance that we will be with him for eternity. That we have a home that is completely secure and imperishable. The housing market in heaven is infinitely more secure than the housing market in Idaho or anywhere else. Uh, And we can rest in that. That home is not going to diminish in value. That is the greatest of all homes. We need to think about that often. That is the first assurance that Jesus gives to his disciples and to us. Then he gives a second assurance in the first portion of verse 3. Jesus gives the assurance of a heavenly return. Remember, he told the disciples that he was going to to leave and they were not going to be able to follow. And he gives this assurance. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Now, what what a promise. Uh, But he he words it as a conditional statement. He says, if I go uh, and prepare a place uh, and Jesus is doing that he did depart and he is preparing right now then he says then i will come again but not only will he come back but he says that he will receive them and us to himself this is the first allusion in scripture uh, to the event known as the rapture and not every christian believes uh, in a rapture of the church and some would say that this is just referring to uh, the second coming of christ Uh, But if we read the scriptures carefully, we will see that there are two distinct phases to the return of Christ. Uh, And uh, I would divide those phases. The first phase is the the rapture of the church. uh, And the second is uh, known as the second coming. Uh, 
And here are some distinctions uh, concerning the rapture. Uh, there are no signs that precede it. That's where uh, at, at times, it, as you read through the New Testament, as Jesus speaks about uh, his return, sometimes it seems like there are uh, it's going to come at any moment in time. He says, like a thief in the night. And other moments in time or other portions of Scripture, it seems like there are signs that precede it. Uh, and I would say uh, the rapture has no signs that precede it uh, because it comes at the, at the very beginning prior to the great tribulation. And the second coming of Christ uh, is going to come at the end of that tribulation. Uh, and uh, in the first uh, portion, in the rapture, Jesus comes to gather the church. In the second coming at the end of the tribulation, Jesus comes to judge the world. Uh, in the rapture, Jesus comes personally and he appears in the air and the saints are caught up uh, to him. Uh, in his second coming, uh, it is the angels that gather the elect uh, and Jesus comes down and he's going to, to set his feet upon the earth. It says that the, the Mount of Olives is going to split in half. So the rapture, the saints are caught up uh, it, to be with him in the air. Uh, in the second coming, we're going to be riding with Jesus as he returns to the earth. Uh, and the rapture is followed by the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven in Revelation 19. Uh, and the second coming is followed by Armageddon and the establishment of the kingdom of God on the earth for a thousand years. Uh, and so ma- many look to the rapture uh, as uh, uh, a, a focus. Uh, and some people uh, love the study of uh, end times. End times are always interesting. Uh, and everybody has questions about that. We'll do a Q&A on eschatology at some point. But, but sometimes we focus so much on eschatology and end time stuff and the rapture that, that we lose sight of the, the context of, of when those doctrines are taught. And the point of these truths about the return of Christ, uh, as uh, we see right here and right now, it is intended to bring comfort to the believer. And if you, if you turn to probably the most well-known passage uh, concerning the rapture, if you turn over with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 13. The Apostle Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. That's what Jesus is, is speaking about here in John 14. But notice, how does Paul conclude this section? What does he say in verse 18? He's bringing up these truths as a source of comfort. It says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. If you look at chapter 5, get a poor chapter break. Concerning the times, he's going to say that, that this is going to be an, an imminent reality. It's going to happen like a, a thief coming in the night. I was talking with, with my sons about that. Somehow they've been fixated on bad guys. And uh, 
dinner table the other night, like, when, when do the bad guys come? Uh, and uh, I was like, we don't know. Uh, and so it was like thinking of this passage right here. Uh, and uh, we don't know when the bad guys come. Do we, we don't know when, also, the, the rapture will take place. But as the Apostle Paul speaks about these things, again, look at chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Therefore, comfort one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. And so the emphasis of these doctrines, this, this reality of Christ's return, it is intended to, uh, to be a, a comfort and a source of hope to us. Uh, and we need to, to remember that. That is the correct application of these truths in Scripture. I've also kind of kind of noticed uh, an incorrect application of this same truth uh, that there are there are many who who submit their their hope in the rapture and and we should uh, we are going to be saved from the wrath of God we are not going to be here for uh, the great tribulation but many who uh, believe in the rapture as we do uh, and uh, that we we sometimes can can pendulum swing into error by by looking out at at society uh, and seeing society get worse and worse and i believe that that society is getting worse that there is there is a, a spiritual darkness uh, coming upon uh, our, our nature our nation and our culture right now and it is concerning uh, but some almost rejoice in in that darkness in, encroaching uh, and saying well, well we're not going to be here when it as it gets worse and worse we're not going to be here for the tribulation so it doesn't matter but i think I think that is uh, the, the misapplication of Scripture. Uh, we are to have comfort and hope in, in the eternal reality that we're going to be with Christ. But in the here and now, as long as we are here, we are called to, to fight against that darkness that is encroaching. Uh, we are called to be salt and light. Uh, we are called uh, to not participate in the deeds of darkness. Ephesians 5.11 says, but we are even called to expose them. Uh, In uh, Jeremiah, uh, the Jewish exiles in Babylon uh, are there. Uh, uh, They're under the discipline of God and they've been exiled. Uh, And they're in Babylon. And Jeremiah has said right now, uh, Babylon is going to be used by God to judge uh, Jerusalem and and Judah. Uh, But ultimately, uh, Babylon is also going to be judged. Uh, And so you think about it. These exiles are in Babylon uh, and they know in the future Babylon is going to be judged. But what does Jeremiah tell them? He tells them to seek the good of their city, even though that city is going to be destroyed, even though that city is going to come under judgment. They they are to work for the good in their city. Just because we have the assurance of a heavenly home and uh, the assurance of a heavenly return by Christ doesn't mean that we throw in the towel on our earthly lives. Every believer ought to work uh, for the good of your family, for the good of the church, and for the good of society. You know, we should be those who are, Titus 2, uh, 14, those who are zealous for good works. Uh, that is what Christ has saved us to do. Uh, and uh, we should be laboring in hope, proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, raising up our children to the glory of God, and striving to build a, a community of believers that's going to outlast any individual one of us, right? That, that's what we should be striving to do. We should be laboring faithfully until the Lord calls us home. And we can do that without fear and with comfort 
because we know that the Lord, that we have an imperishable home and that the Lord is going to return. This is the assurance that Jesus gives to his disciples. And he gives a, a third assurance at the end of verse 13. The assurance of, of heavenly fellowship. It says that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is, is going to prepare a place for every single believer. And he emphasizes that there are, there are many rooms in the Father's house. It, it's not going to be that there is not enough rooms. Uh, there's never going to be a no vacancy sign in heaven. There will always be just enough room. No believer will be left out. And Jesus has promised to come back and receive us to himself. But, but all of that is toward a particular end. That we would be with him. The heaven is paradise, not because our loved ones are there. Not because uh, it is a place uh, without sin and suffering and tears. Heaven is heaven because that is where the triune God dwells. And D.O. Moody writes, It is not the jasper walls and the pearly gates that are going to make heaven attractive. It is being with God. Fellowship with Jesus in heaven is the greatest of all blessings. And all of the blessings in this life point towards that. But they are just small uh, shadows and the substance is in heaven. Fellowship with Jesus in heaven is greater than riches in this life. It's greater than marriage. It's greater than children. It's greater than health, success, and long life. All of the blessings of this life, as good as they are, pale by comparison with the fellowship that we will have with Jesus in heaven. Martin Luther says, I would not give one moment of heaven for all the joy and riches of the world, even if it lasted for thousands and thousands of years. And when we have this focus upon eternal uh, fellowship with God, when, when our focus is upon heaven, we are willing to give up the things of this life. Listen to Hebrews 11, speaking about the faith of Moses. When he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Regarding the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses wanted to be with God. Remember his prayer, Exodus 33? He says, show me your glory. That was his desire. He was willing to forsake everything else in pursuit of that. Quoting again from Michael and Sharon Rustin concerning that, that boxer rebellion. There was another group of uh, China Inland Mission uh, missionaries. Willie and, and Helen Pete were there with their two daughters and then two other single women missionaries. And they were hiding. Uh, uh, they were hidden by Chinese Christians in caves for three weeks before they were discovered by the boxers. And uh, in, in a letter, Willie Pete said, We are in God's hands. And I can say, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And Edith Dodson, one of the single women, wrote in her last letter, We know that naught can come to us without his permission, so we have no need to be troubled. And it is not my nature to fear physical harm, but I trust if it come, his grace will be all-sufficient. 
And they were temporarily spared when a magistrate intervened in order that they would be delivered to a nearby city. Uh, but being threatened by a mob, they were forced to flee again to the mountains. And while hiding in a cave, uh, Willie Pete wrote his final letter to his mother and his uncle. He says, the soldiers are just on us and I have only time to say goodbye to you all. We shall soon be with Christ, which is far or very far better for us. And we can only now be sorry for you who are left behind and our dear native Christians. Goodbye. At longest, it is only till he come. And we rejoice that we are made partakers of the sufferings of Christ. That when his glory shall be revealed, we may rejoice also with exceeding joy. And his wife, Helen, added, our father is with us and we go to him. And trust to see all before his face, to be forever together with him. (coughs) Sorry. What a glorious anticipation. He rejoiced in his suffering, and she longed to be with God. Something significant about missionaries. They have to trust in the Lord a lot more than than some of us have to. On August 30th, 1900, Willie and Helen Pete and their two daughters and those two single woman missionaries were martyred. But they faced that death without fear. And did you notice What assurance gave them hope? What is it that that allowed them uh, to face their circumstances with peace? The assurance that they were going to be with God forever. As they left this life, they knew exactly where they were going. They knew they were going to their home. They knew they were going to be with the triune God for all of eternity. That removed their fear. That brought them peace. That brought them comfort. They had that assurance. Do you have that assurance? Have you placed your faith, your trust in Christ alone? Have you turned from relying upon yourself? Have you turned away from relying upon your own wisdom, your own efforts? Have you looked to Christ saying, I am a sinner and you are my only hope? That's what Christ calls each of us to do. If you haven't done that, I would encourage you to do it now. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to walk an aisle, but look to Christ in faith. Forsake your own wisdom and your own works and rely completely upon him. Then you will have that assurance. These assurances that we have seen Jesus give to his disciples. Here in John 14. The assurance of a heavenly home. The assurance of Christ's heavenly return. And the assurance of eternal fellowship with Christ in heaven. As I said earlier, we 
we do not think about heaven as often as we should. And why is that? Well, what do we tend to think about? Yeah. Do you think about what you think about? Colossians 3 says, I'm to, to set my mind on things that are above and not on the things that are on the earth. And usually when you have those types of couplings, you see our default and what it ought to be. Our default is to set our mind upon things that are on the earth. That's why God has to command us to do what is not natural for us to do. But to set our mind on things that are above. We naturally focus upon the cares and concerns of everyday life. And again, there, there's a reality of we have to figure out, yeah, what do we need from the store? Right? Uh, who's going to shovel the driveway after this snowstorm? It's not snowmageddon. Uh, but, but there are everyday concerns. Now, our battle is to make sure that those everyday concerns don't eclipse Christ. That they don't eclipse the, the heavenly, the weightier matters. Matters of eternity. I found this prayer from the Puritan John Bradford. I trust that many of us here will, will identify with this prayer. He says, I lament that I am so earthly minded and think so little of my heavenly home. I am so unthankful for God's providence and fatherly corrections here on the earth. Alas, I am altogether a wretch, earthly, and unthankful for the corporal benefits of health, riches, friends, fame, and wisdom. I do not appreciate my Father's heavenly benefits, or Christ Jesus, or the promises of the Spirit, or the gospel. Yes, and even glory and heaven itself. I am proud in prosperity and forget God, growing secure and careless. I am impatient under the cross and too often worry about my own disappointments. Oh, dear Father, forgive me for my unthankfulness, the love of the world, and contempt of all your heavenly benefits. Grant me your Holy Spirit to illuminate the eyes of my mind with the light and living knowledge of your presence, power, wisdom, and goodness. Inflame my affections that I may desire nothing on earth but you, and to be present with you. I pray, give me these things in your good time. May we commit today uh, to resting upon these assurances that Jesus gave to his disciples and that he gives to us. That we have a home in heaven. That we will one day be reunited with Christ. Either because we live uh, uh, the, the full number of our days here on the earth or the Lord returns before that time. But we have an assurance that we will be reunited. And we have an assurance that we will have fellowship with Christ in heaven for all eternity. Amen.